A couple of weeks ago, we started with saying that we're going to look at some very specific moments in the Gospels that we're not going to study the teachings of Jesus or the parables of Jesus, but rather we're going to look at the conversations that he had with people, <clears throat> that he even had with the enemy, that he had with the Father, and what we can gather from the heart and the character of Jesus in these conversations. And this morning I want to ask a question <clears throat> before we continue. Did you come here this morning with an expectation that Jesus wants to speak to you personally? If you have not, do you think you could have such an expectation? If you open up the Word of God this morning, where's your expectation level at? Is it just out of habit? Let's open it up. Let's read. Let's listen. Once you open up the Word, do you look at it and like, wow, God, what a privilege to encounter you this morning and that you want to converse with me personally as a son and a daughter. Isn't that amazing? Every time I open up the word, I take a moment to think about what's about to happen. That I get to hear the heart of God revealed to me through his written word. What a privilege and what a joy. So I want to take a moment and pray for our heart's expectation before we open up the word this morning. So can you please join me and say, Lord Jesus, I open up my heart. I'm desperate to hear from you. Will you speak to me? I have open ears. My heart is fertile ground. Let your word come and change me this morning. Lord, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. As we open your word today, May you come and encounter each one of us exactly where we're at. Lord, thank you that it might be me speaking up front, Lord, but it's the power of your Holy Spirit. It's that power of your presence that we sang about. It's the power of your written word, Lord, that's gonna come to every heart this morning. And you are about, Lord, to have 300 conversations in this room with each one of us individually. And for that, we honor you. We thank you, Lord, that you are an almighty, omniscient, omnipresent God and that you know exactly where each one of us are at. So, Lord, come and meet us, come and encounter us as we open your word this morning. And we all say, Amen. Awesome. You can open your Bibles up in John chapter 21, the very last chapter in the gospel according to John. We're going to be reading a fascinating story. One of my favorite stories and one that the more time you spend in it, the bigger headache you get to as to what you're going to share about it. This week was one of those weeks I'm like which direction to take. Lord Jesus, please show me what it is that you want to tell our people from this moment, from the story that we need to learn and that you want to do in our lives. Now, before we read it, I've got to give you some context because we're going to be looking predominantly at the character Peter. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at him and his conversation with Jesus. And again, this morning we'll do so, but the context is very important for us before we read. So Peter had quite a few days behind him. Have any of you had some of those weeks or months where you're just like, thank goodness that's over? Like, yes, I got through that. You know that sense of like, everything just happening, it's, it's, it's chaotic, it's, it's just so much. And this is exactly where Peter was at. Just a couple of days or maybe a couple of weeks before, not exactly sure of the timeline, but let's say this all happened within a two-week span. Peter has had dinner with Jesus the night before his arrest. 
And he has an encounter with Jesus where Jesus wants to wash his feet. And Peter's like, no, Jesus, there's no way. You don't touch my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, come on. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then right after that, as they leave that moment of being with Jesus for one last time and Jesus is being arrested, what does Peter do? He grabs a sword or a knife and he cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. That's quite a story. Have you ever cut off the ear of someone? Can you imagine all the turmoil of emotion that's happening? He's just like, leave Jesus. And Jesus is like, come on, Peter. He takes the ear and he puts it back on the shoulder's head. And then Jesus has had a conversation with Peter telling him that, Peter, you're going to be denying me. Wow. And he's like, there's no way, Jesus. That ain't going to happen. He says, before the rooster crows three times, it would have happened. And then the story unfolds of how Peter is standing by a fire and he's asked by a little girl whether he is a disciple of Jesus. And he says, no, I'm not. So can you imagine the turmoil? Now, since then, what's happened is Jesus was resurrected and we see how Peter goes into the tomb and he sees that Jesus is alive. But the Bible says that they were a little confused because they didn't quite get the full story yet. And then after they've been into the tomb, Jesus appeared to them, including Peter. But one of the disciples were missing. Thomas was doing something else. I don't know what he was up to, but he was somewhere else. And he came back and the disciples told Thomas, you know what? Jesus appeared to us. He's alive. And Jesus made sure to show them that he appeared in physical human form because he had them touch, touch him in his hands. And Thomas says, no, I won't believe unless I see. Isn't that so many of us? Don't believe unless I see. So what does Jesus do? Eight days later, he appears again and he lets Thomas see. And Thomas believes. And out of all of this, all of the craziness that Peter has gone through, and he's seen Jesus, and Jesus is alive. And if I was Peter, I would have used that moment to say, Jesus, can I please, please be restored unto you? Can I please say sorry? But we see that that is not what Peter is doing. After all of this chaos, and Jesus resurrected and conquered death and appeared to them, what does Peter say? He says, well, I'm going fishing. Something better to do. I'm out of here. So let's read together what happened in this moment. We're in John 21. We're going to read from the first verse. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, 
for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out of the boat on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show the kind of death that he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What an incredible story. It's one of these stories where Jesus is saying so much by not saying anything at all. The whole story is a conversation, even to the point where Jesus actually starts speaking with Peter. He's been saying a whole lot to Peter already. And this morning I'm calling my message, Reclaiming the Runners. And I say this in a prophetic sense, that some of you have been running. And Jesus is about to step into your picture and to, into your world and into your story and says, I'm claiming you back this morning. The running is over. It's time for you to step back into that which I have called you to and who you are and your identity and what I have made you to be. Because this was the story of Peter. He met Jesus. He saw Jesus raised from the dead once, twice, the third time. What does he say? He says, I'm going fishing. I'm just going to run away from it all. Clearly so because he was in a space of inner turmoil because of him denying Christ a couple of days before. See, it's the nature of our human existence is to run away from God. We've all done it. Sometimes through disobedience, we know we've got to do something, but then we say, no, God, I'm going this way. That's running away from God. Sometimes we've run away from the opportunities he has given us 
to be ministers of the gospel of good news where you could have that conversation, where you could have that moment, where you could be generous, but you're like, nah, not in the mood, I'm going fishing. I've got something else to do. So the question I want to start with this morning is how far are you from Jesus at the moment? Have you been a runner? Because it's clear in this picture that Jesus catches up. But it's beautiful to see when he does, how he does it. And how he comes, becomes deeply personal into all of our stories. And the story of Peter is such a moment where he focuses purely on Peter. And I believe in the same way he's going to focus on your heart this morning. He says, stop running. Come back to me. Let's have a conversation. Let's set you on the right track again. Some quick observations that I love about this story that I want to mention just on the side, let's call this the B-tapes for the message this morning, is three things. We see here the servant heart of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus, and the singular call of Jesus. The servant heart of Jesus. Jesus lived what he taught. He says, the son of man that not came to be served, but to serve. And he was out there serving these guys a breakfast after a long and hard night. And I love seeing that again. We see this right in the beginning. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, and they've messed up. The creator of the universe serves them and he gives them clothes to wear, which he made with his hands. And in the same way, Peter is out there on the sea and Jesus is back here and he says, well, I have come to serve. That's who the son of man is. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. So let me create a little bit of a breakfast for the guys. There were some fish on the fire already. They know where he got it, where he did this and the fish appeared. Whether he was like, okay, four, 5,000, 4,000, 7, let's just get some fish. But he had some fish ready. He had some coal. He had some fire. And he was there to serve them. So we see the servant heart of Jesus in this moment. And the communication of that without the words. He didn't tell them, I'm serving you. He just served them. And then we see the supremacy of Jesus. It's interesting that they said they did not dare ask him who he is because they knew that Jesus was in their midst. Sometimes we dare and ask Jesus who he think he is when we are in his presence. I love the hearts of the disciples. They, they lived in the, what Anthony shared this morning, that sense of reverence, that Christ is here, the king, the one with whom before even the Gentiles, when he entered Jerusalem, bowed down in worship and threw down the palm branches in adoration of him. So the supremacy of Jesus shines in the story. And then I love this part, the singular call that Jesus has for everyone comes through so beautifully. Right at the end, after Peter is restored, he's just Peter again. And he says, okay, Jesus, now that you're done with me, let's talk about John. What about him? So we've had our moment, but, and Jesus says, really? What is that to you? What happens to John? If he stays alive until I return, so what? You follow me. You see, when we are busy with following, we mean no business with comparing. And here Peter was called by Jesus twice to say, follow me, Peter. And he walks around comparing himself to John. How many of us do that? Can we not compare this morning? Can you not look across the hall and like, yeah, who's God speaking to today? Because Jesus is about to speak to every one of you this morning. He says, I want you to follow me. Don't look over your shoulder. Don't look left or right. I've got business with you this morning. When we are following him, 
we mean no business with comparing. So that's just the B-tapes of the message this morning. Just some other things that I read into this. And I believe if you study the Word of God, the more you study it, the more it becomes alive and the more you can find it is never-ending. It's waters of life that keeps on flowing. So I want to encourage you to go and read the story again after today. But here are four things that I want to share with us this morning. And I want to start with this idea of running. Get us right back to the main story and the main conversation that we're looking at. As I said earlier, it is in our human nature to be runners. We are natural born runners. Some of you are looking at me like, Pierre, you are talking absolute nonsense. The last time I ran was 20 years ago, and there's no way you find me on the street. It's interesting when you're a runner and you tell people that you run, they love hearing, using that scripture. It says, yeah, it's only the fools who run with no one chasing them. Any of you guys are guilty of that? <laughs> but you see, we're natural born runners just in our, in our nature. Have you ever seen a little child that is starting to walk and is discovering that he has the ability to remove himself from his mom and dad? And then the next moment, that child just runs off, and mom and dad is at the side, come here! And that kid just keeps on running. We had a moment like that once in front of, in front of, in front of the Ferris house where Alika was just in that stage. She was a runner, like you wouldn't believe just not walking around. She ran when there was an opportunity. We were outside in the street, and the next moment, she just bowled it off, and Eliana and I was like, Alika! And then Michelle's like, Pierre, you better run. So I started running behind, and I got her, and I pulled her up, and I walked her back, and Michelle's like, and now? I said, no, I got her. She said, no, now you've got to deal with that. I said, what do you mean? She says, well, you've got to discipline her because she has been disobedient to your voice. In the same way, we run away from Jesus, but then he pursues us. He runs on behind us, but then when he grabs hold of us, he's got some work to do in us because he loves us so much as the Bible teaches that a father loves a child with discipline that he would come and say, Pierre, we've got some business to discuss. And we see this in the story of, of Peter where he was running and Jesus pursuing him and catching up with him because believe me, Jesus always will and then he works with Peter in this moment. The Israelites were running. God kept pursuing until he caught up. Jonah was running. God caught up. David was running. The Lord caught up. Gideon was running. The Lord caught up. It's in the story of the Bible throughout. So running away from God seems to be something that we as humans often find ourselves doing. And because of Peter's mistakes, because of him denying Jesus, because of everything that went wrong in the past two weeks, he just said, I'm gonna go fishing. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, to Peter, we will go with you. He runs away from the calling. He's just seen Jesus twice. He had the opportunity there to keep pursuing Jesus, like where's Jesus at today? He's appeared to me twice. He's somewhere in the city. Let me go find him. But he says, no, let me go away. I'm not sure that I want to see Jesus. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to that which I'm comfortable with. I'm going to go back to that which I am finding my identity in. I'm going to go back to the place that I was before he met me because that's who I want to be. I'm not ready to run back to Jesus. And then Jesus runs to Peter. Isn't that a beautiful story? It's a story of running. Something to note here. When Peter said, I'm going fishing, the other disciple says, well, we're coming with you. You see, within Peter was the fabric of leadership. 
God has chosen him and Christ has called him to be the one who preaches the gospel after Pentecost for the church to be birthed. And because of Peter running away from Jesus, he used his leadership to influence the others, probably not in the best way. There's the story of the leaders and the unleaders in the book of Joshua, where God sends out the spies into the promised land. And back comes some unleaders who says, it's impossible, we can't do this. And the people went crazy, like, why would we do this? God has brought us here to be killed. God has brought us here to die. And then there are two leaders who used their influence. Said, whoa, 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 wait up. <laughs> We've got a God of promise. I can tell you, if we put our minds to this and with the backing of him, we are able to take this land which he has promised for us. So in our running, let's not use our places of influence to unlead people away from God. Parents, how are you leading in your home? When you've got your kids who's got their eyes on you when it comes to the things of God, are you unleading them in complaining, in comfort, in the culture of the world? Are you leading them constantly to a place of like, we are a people of Jesus. We are a people who gather with the people of Jesus. We are believers that Jesus will take care of us and that every word he promised is true. Peter misused his influence and he led some of those with him. But the story continues. Jesus knew that and he stepped into their world and ran into their picture. So the second thing that happens in the story is that Peter was reminded. And I believe this morning that the Holy Spirit is going to remind some of us. Jesus reminds Peter of who Jesus is. He reminds Peter of who he is. And he reminds Peter of his calling. But this is amazing. Is the reminding did not happen in the words that Jesus spoke. It happened in what Jesus did. So even before Jesus spoke to Peter, a whole conversation has already taken place. Jesus has said some very specific things to the heart of Peter in this moment even before opening up his mouth. Because the first words he has with Jesus, with Peter is, hey, Peter, do you love me? But building up to that point, Jesus has been running into Peter's world and heart and mind and soul with a whole lot of things which he has done. He goes to Peter through some profound, familiar moments. This whole idea of fish and bread Peter has been there before, and there were a couple of fish on the fire, but Jesus knew that that's not enough to feed the tired, hungry, grown men. So what does he do? He multiplies the fish. And there's a reminding and there's a conversation, just, just remember who I am and what I do. And the question is, do you have those moments in your life that you can go back to where God has done something to remind you exactly who he is. I call it spiritual deja vu, where you're like, I've been here before. So God, you've got my attention now. A specific moment, a specific encounter, a specific life moment with Jesus that he often brings back to us to remind us of that. 
I love those moments. I love that moment where my mind is on something else. My heart is distracted. I'm running this way. I'm doing that. And Jesus steps in and says, whoa, Pierre, let's just go back to that moment. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You're reminding me. And it's very practical. It might just be through a message that you get. It might be through a passage that you read. It might be through someone praying for you in a prophetic word. It might be that you walk in a place and you're just reminded of him by the way you look at the mountains. He did this with these people all throughout the word. We see this in Gilgal. Once they passed the, the river into the promised land, what does God tell them to do? He says, erect an altar, and then from there go to Jericho for seven days, but every night come back to the altar as a reminder of what I have done. So we've got to find those reminders in our lives. And here we see three profound reminders that Jesus pulls out in Peter. First of all is the divine catch. Do you remember the moment in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus called Peter? The story was totally similar to what's happening in John chapter 21. Peter and some men were out fishing all through the night. And what did they catch? Nothing. And Jesus walks into the picture and says, Oi, have you guys caught anything? And they're like, no. He says, well, here's the idea. Just let it down again and pull it up. So in the same way that Jesus met Peter the very first time, he met him a second time after he denied Jesus and walked away and kept running the other way. And it was in that moment that Jesus then leans into Peter and says, you've been catching fish, Peter, but from this moment on, you'll be catching men. Isn't that amazing? Jesus took him right back to the start. He took him to the start for a restart. So many times we've got to go back to that starting place of our first love with Jesus, where we've met him, where we've encountered him, where he's changed our lives. And maybe for you it's been 10 years, maybe it's been three, maybe it's been six months, and life has come against you. But take a moment to go back to the start so that he can restart the fire in you again, which he plays there at the very first time. Jesus speaks to Peter in a profound way through this divine catch. The second way he speaks to Peter is through getting out of the boat. What happened is, in our story, is that when Peter realized it's Jesus, what did he do? He got out of the boat. Hasn't this happened before? He wasn't happy like the other disciples who just remain in the boat and row themselves to the shore he was saying, I'm getting out. I'm going to run to Jesus. Maybe some part of Peter, like maybe this time I'll stay on the water. But he said he put on his clothes. He made himself modest. And he jumped in and he just went for the shore. And the others came on behind him. Reminds us of the same moment in Matthew 14. Where Peter got out of the boat boldly saying, Jesus, I want to come to you. I want to walk on the water. And he did. But then something happened. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And here's the parallel. The first time Peter got out into the physical storm, but the second time he got out of the boat into the storm of his soul. Where inside of him, he was like, here's the moment. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sure if Jesus is going to 
rebuke me. I'm not sure if Jesus and I will ever be okay again because I have turned my back on him. But here I go. I'm bold enough to step into the storm of my soul and run to my Savior because I believe that he is good as he has said. And he just goes. What a beautiful resolve in the heart of a man to run to the Savior. Maybe you've been putting off running to him because you're too scared of the storm of your soul. He steps into the storms of our souls and he quiets. And he says, peace, be still. He's the one who changes it and changes us. The divine catch, the getting out of the boat, and then this one just blew my mind. The charcoal fire. We just read how Jesus was making a charcoal fire. Did you know that the only other place in the Gospel of John that speaks about the charcoal fire is where Peter was standing when he denied Jesus. Isn't that profound? That Jesus would have the same scene to say, there you've denied me by a charcoal fire, but I'm making a charcoal fire again to remind you of the denying because the restoration has come. Let's read together. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not, you also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. God takes him back to the familiar. He says, that which happened there, I'm about to redeem with something new. So this morning, I wanna ask, what's your familiar? Where's your divine catch moment that God has done something so miraculously profound in your life that he wants to remind you of today by his spirit? Where's your getting out of the boat moment where you once have run into Jesus in the fear of the storm that's about to hit you, like I've just gotta be with him. You got out and you went for it. Maybe you've been in the storm of your soul for so long that you don't know what it is to get out of the boat. And this morning I believe he's gonna woo you out of that boat again. Maybe you've been at a place, you've been at an event, you've been at a space around a charcoal fire. And you said, not today, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit wants to remind you of that and says, let's go back to that moment because I have restoration of mind for you. I'm reclaiming the runners. Maybe some of you have been running away from the call of God. Maybe you've got to be reminded again by working with the poor because once in your life you had a moment where you believe God has called you to the poor but you've been running the opposite direction. It's too hard. It's too uncomfortable. I don't like it that much anymore. I'm tired. I just need some space. And you just got to find that familiar again and just get connected in that space again. Maybe it's children and youth. Maybe God has called you into youth ministry with a very specific plan and idea and he wants to remind you of that. Maybe it's a business environment. Maybe it's the gift of hospitality. Maybe he's called you to a nation and you've neglected that because you are too scared of what might be if you say yes. And this morning I believe he's gonna remind us of the call, the divine catch moment he had for us. Maybe it's just sharing your faith that once before you did it so boldly. But today he says, I want to remind you of that. So I believe the Holy Spirit is reminding people already in this room. Then the third thing that happens is the restoration. After Peter has run away and Jesus ran on behind him and caught up, Jesus does a whole lot of reminding to Peter's heart. 
And then he says, okay, Peter, the moment has come. A whole lot of conversation has already taken place without words, but then the word spoke to Peter. He said, I want to speak to you for a moment. See, Jesus was speaking to his heart all the time. But then he moves it to the next point. He says, okay, Peter, let's find out what is in your heart. And he asks him the question that all of us have to answer in our walk with Jesus. Do you love me? The word love is strong. The word that Jesus uses there is the word agape love. Does your heart leap when you think about me? Does your soul sing? Is there a crying and a hunger and a thirst that only I can satisfy, Peter? Have you found it in fishing again? Are you satisfied with that? Or do you love me? Is your soul desiring me? Such an interesting conversation. says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? If you had to put yourself in front of Jesus, and the question was personal, it wasn't about them around him. He said, do you think that your love for me is the greatest in the room? I want to be able to say yes to that. But Jesus asked me, like, Jesus, yes, between me and you, it's the greatest in the room. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then, interesting, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And here's what happened. Peter didn't get it in the moment. But Jesus had to take him to the moment of grief to pull out that root, to pull out that pain, to pull out the thorn of the, his denying. He said, you've denied me three times, I'm restoring you three times. Isn't that powerful? He asked him three times not to test him, not to grieve him, but to say, Peter, I want to go to the deepest part of your soul and touch that to show you that I love you, and that when you say you love me, you mean it. When Jesus works unto our restoration, he works deep into our pain. He works deep into our moment of running away. He works deep into our offense. He works deep into our brokenness. And I've asked the band to prepare a song as part of the sermon. And all you're going to do is just read the lyrics and let the song speak to you this morning. Because I believe there's an encounter with the love of Jesus that he wants to bring to all of us this morning. It's a song by Yulsong United, but when I read the lyrics, I'm like, it's the story of Peter, but it's not the story of Peter, it's the story of so many of us. It's the story of all of our lives. And I just want to read these lyrics to you. If you want my heart, I won't second guess because I need your love more than anything. I'm in. I'm yours. Your love's too good to leave me here. 
your life's too good to leave me. Don't second guess that Jesus has been catching up with you this morning. But now he's saying, hey, let's have a love encounter. Let me take you through what I need to take you through. Because my love for you is so big that I can't leave you in the state that you're in. I've died on the cross for you to see you set free, liberated, to set you on a new course and you keep running away. My love is too good to leave you here. I'm stepping right in. I'm running to you this morning. Don't second guess. So Lord, I pray over the next few moments as we listen to this song that we would put our second guessing aside and that we would say, yes, Lord, reclaim us. Pull us right back to the start. Get us right back to the place where we can say, yes, Lord, between me and you in this room, I love you more than anything. It's my prayer this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Finally, after there was this encounter of love, Peter gets recommissioned. Only once the main thing is restored, the union of love between Savior and disciple, between father and son, the commissioning can come. See, it's the love first, and then there's the commissioning, and then something profound happens. He upgrades him. The first time he called him, he said, you will be fisher of men, but then he says, Peter, I'm calling you to be a shepherd. Feed my lambs. He was stepping 10 steps back away from the call. Jesus runs after him and says, I'm taking you back to the call. I'm reminding you, but today, Peter, I'm taking you so much further. I'm recommissioning you to be a shepherd. If you read the letters of Peter, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, you see in there how he writes about what it is to be a shepherd to the church. It's beautiful. So I don't know where you are at this morning. Maybe you've been running and you recognize today Jesus has caught up. Maybe throughout this morning he's been reminding you divine moments, storm of the soul moments, even the moment that you have turned your back. But he's standing in front of all of us this morning and says, do you love me? And then if we say yes, he comes with the power of his spirit and he sets us on a whole new course. And he recommissions us to be the church which is meant us to be. Imagine Peter ran away again, how the rest of the story would have unfolded. Now, what would happen if the church is no God? You know what? Great Sunday, great message, great song. I'm going back to what I like and what I prefer. I'm going fishing. Who would lose out if you say that this morning? So can we also be recommissioned as the church this morning to the thing that he has called us to be, the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, the proclamation and the demonstration of his kingdom in this world? And if this message has spoken to you in any way and you want to respond, I want you to stand this morning so we can respond boldly as His church. Why don't you just stand up? Thank you, Lord. Jesus, I'm so aware that 
it's impossible, Lord, to hear every story, to hear every moment, to hear every thought, but you know, Lord. Your word says that the Lord is spirit. So I pray, Spirit of God, speak to every heart right now in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that people would experience how you are running up to them and embracing them. Where they've run away because they thought they have messed up. And that if they had to come back to you, that you would rebuke them and chase them away. Lord, you're saying this morning, my son, my daughter, I just long for you to be with me. I'm embracing you. Lord, I pray where people have been reminded this morning of their call, of the moment that they might have started running away, where they have been reminded of or just being so aware of the storm of their own souls. Lord Jesus, I pray that there would be in them a moment where now Holy Spirit, He would speak to them and say, today is a new day. New things have come. The old is gone. The new has come. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Lord, I pray if our love for you have run dry, that you would start a flame in our hearts again and our souls again this morning. That we would say, Lord, in this room, Lord, we love you more than anything and anyone. We love you most. Between me and you, Jesus, I love you most and I believe it and I want to live like that. So pull hearts right back into that moment, Lord. And I pray that we, as your church, would be recommissioned in the fullness of our call. That we would not partner with our doubt anymore. That we would not partner with our inner vow of I've messed up. I'm not good enough. That we would break that today in Jesus' name. And that we would say because of you and you following us and pursuing us, today is the day that we step into the fullness. And we will be a ready people who run with your good news into this world. Pray, Holy Spirit, as we conclude this morning, that you would continue to do the work in our lives. That we would go into this week and in our homes, in our small groups, in when we get together, Lord, that we would speak about this Jesus that has claimed us back. Amen.